life. Are you growing with it or feeling left out? Either way or in between, you're in the right place today with the host of Change Already, Your Future, Your Choice, Jillian. She's an award-winning author and radio personality. She's warm, she's fuzzy, and she's got an attitude. Hello and welcome to Change Already with Jillian Moss-Backman. If you know about my show, we are on week four of Serial Killers and Spirituality, but sometimes there are shows that half an hour just won't cover. And I'm telling you, today is a show that needs an entire hour of our attention. Wait till you hear the story I have to talk to you about today. And it's not that I left the worst serial killer for last, but it's certainly a a story with intricate details here and there. But I want to do something before we get on. I want to do a little house cleaning and an announcement that I'm doing for the July series. I'm not sure if you all remember, but remember the big 12-12-12 year date last year and everybody said it was an auspicious day and that we should all be clearing our minds and our hearts and our souls and really let go of all the static in our lives, including people and process and the whole business. And really get centered on what you wanted to do in the future because this was the day to do it. Well, like the rest of you, I've been doing my clearing and awakening work so much to the point where I woke up that morning and I thought about it and I thought about it. And, you know, how many times could one person write in a journal, I'm letting go of this and letting go of that, and now I want to do this and create that in the world. And the name change already, of course, means we're always changing. So I decided on that day that I would do something totally different and change it up. I decided that I was not going to focus on myself for the day because I think I had it covered and I had a pretty good idea of who I am and what I am and where I'm going in the world. So I decided, this crazy idea that I woke up in the morning, to turn my Facebook page over to the rest of you. Now, what I did was I woke up and I posted on my Facebook page to tell everybody that if they had a cause, a prayer, something they needed a little oomph from the universe, please go ahead and post it on my Facebook page for the day. And, of course, I went through a little bit of the parameters of please be respectful for the other people and don't post anything inappropriate. And I am happy to report after that day I went back on air for my show and The response was heartwarming, at least. It was so refreshing to not have to talk about my needs and what I wanted to do and just concentrate on somebody else for one auspicious day. You know, my um, publicist had a fit with me. She was like, what are you doing? Anyway, it turned out so good that we decided that we were going to do something similar to that idea 
in the future, and we had just kind of put it on the back burner. That was in December, of course, of 2012. So I woke up with a message a couple days ago, and I got the message to turn over my entire series for July and do the same thing. So for the month of July, I'm going to be running a contest for a better lack of words. It's not really a contest, but what it is doing is that Change Already is going to dedicate the entire month of July to highlight and feature some of the lesser known nonprofit organizations out there that are making a difference. You know, the homegrown people that don't get the national attention or don't even get radio attention or media coverage is far between. So here's how you can all get involved and be a part of making this series for July on nonprofits successful for all of us. Go ahead and go to imaginepublicity.com. It has all the rules, and I'm going to briefly go over it, and then you can find the details later because I want to jump into the subject and get my guest on as soon as possible. So from now on, from today till June 15th, I want you to go to my Facebook page, and there's four different categories that we're going to highlight. One, one nonprofit in each one of the categories that are listed. They're medical, social, the arts, and children. You have to be a nonprofit registered uh, company, and you have to leave a link on my Facebook page. And my Facebook page is JillianMossBackman.com. So go ahead and do that. And then what's going to happen is I'm just going to draw them from a hat, you know, because if you put them all side by side, I guarantee you, that most of them are of equal value. So how does one choose a good cause over another? So we're just going to throw them in a hat. I know it sounds very unsophisticated, but I feel that's the most appropriate way to get an even exchange for everybody, an even chance. So here's how you do it. Go over to imaginepublicity.com and look at the rest of the details on the contest. Make sure you don't miss the date by June 15th or you can go to my website at JillianMossBackman.com. And, of course, I'm going to be putting it out on Twitter and LinkedIn, of course. I think that covers everything, doesn't it? I never know about the Internet stuff. So that's in July. So this week I want to close out the series Serial Killers and Spirituality with stories that are almost unbelievable, that they're so heinous to read or hear about. And you know when you read those kind of things, your mind immediately rejects the notion that people can really be this evil. But yet your body seems to have some kind of energy feeling or impulse that can relate to the evil. But for the most of us, we're able to bounce back and throw away those thoughts, even if it's just a split second that people can feel that evil, but it doesn't consume us. It's strange. It's like this uncontrollable energy that seems to take over a person's will. Is it by choice or is it because they're born evil? And some people, as we found in the last couple weeks, stay in that evil place. It's they're unable to stop going to those places where they create evilness and havoc among the rest of us. 
it's strange how people get caught in that and consumed by evil. But the story I want to talk about today and the guests that I want to talk to can completely relate to this. He was living his life just like the rest of us. He was an accomplished attorney. He was out doing his own stuff.
Hello, this is Jeff.
Jeff, are you there? I'm here. Okay. See, now, I'm not surprised. I you kept popping in and off off my uh studio. Does that surprise you? First time it's ever happened. Uh doesn't surprise me, sir. <laughs> well, I appreciate your stick to itiveness. You know, as an intuitive all morning long I was feeling really uncomfortable, not because of Jeff's message, but because of Jeff's truth. And a lot of times when you're out there doing the work, as I was going to talk about in the second part of this, and we're going to keep on talking, I'm going to keep on going now, is that um, it's not an easy road when you get into destiny. And when two people line up with their own destiny, it gets a little shaky for the rest of the world. So, Jeff, thank you for your persistence. Let's keep on going. I want to, Can you give us just a brief detail of the uh, book, Bloodstains, that you have out now? Well, sure. And, Jillian, uh, thank you very much for having me on. When Delilah told me about <laughs> your show, Change Already, I was excited to be a part of it. And I can only tell you this, your introduction of what my book and and my life was about is the best one that I've heard yet and I've probably been on two or three hundred shows now. And you're I, 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 I Oh, it was if your your description of my struggle to uh emerge from that place about choices of evil, good and evil is exactly what the book is about. And um I, I had a little when we lost each other in the static I had a little yeah. chuckle, actually. I had a little chuckle, actually, thinking maybe that old Holmes curse, that thing that uh, he was famous for, maybe he didn't like your introduction either. I mean, as much as I liked it, he might have been uncomfortable with it because of the truth that's, you, uh, you feel. Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, um, I'm telling you, Jeff, all morning long, and I promised myself that I wouldn't work on on um, radio, but I'll tell you, I really sat and meditated about what the essence of who you are, and I know that you've had hundreds, so thank you for the nice compliment, but the part that I really want to focus on is, it was kind of a jumbled mess, so we're going to keep clean on this, and we're I'm pushing back the energy, and they're not going to get to us for the rest of this hour, All I right. want to talk about you. So we in the cutoff, I think I was telling people that you had a normal life and then you your mother started doing an ancestral check and you found out this guy, H. H. Holmes, who is probably the first serial killer in America, was actually your relative. Exactly true. And and he's more than that. He he's probably the most evil man that ever lived. And, and history is just now starting to understand that fact, and books and movies coming out all over now about him. But uh, the most prolific serial killer that ever lived, too, we're talking about a man that probably killed hundreds, if not a thousand people. Um, there, it, it's, I, I was living a quote-unquote normal life. Um, I knew I was different. I knew I was a little bit strange, but I, but I held it back. And, you know, I was out there doing what all California lawyers do. They were trying to make a success for themselves to, to build a bigger house and have a fancier car, those things. Mm-hmm. And then one one day at dinner, my my grandmother revealed, you know, her ancestral 
a journey uh, as far as proving that we were related to a Civil War general. And my grandfather had to admit this family secret that he'd kept from even her, my grandmother, uh, at the party that night that we, were, we weren't we were related to a Civil War general. It was, in fact, this, uh, this heinous monster. I can't imagine at a dinner table, where do you go from there? It's not funny, but you know how when it's so sick, your only thing is to like this nervous energy. I can't imagine uh, the devastation. I mean, you were expecting one direction of nobility, basically, in family in American history, and then you find out you're completely related to the most darkest secrets of American history. So what did you do, and where did you proceed? I mean, because now you've taken this whole thing. How long of a process has it been since you found out to now? Well, this has been my life for almost 15 years now. It took me quite a while. It took me quite a while just to convince myself to write a book. The, The obsession with knowing the truth after having read every book ever written about this man and realizing that most of them are just flat out wrong. That that was easy. That's that's what I did for a living, go find the truth and facts and then present it to a jury. Then the part about writing the book and getting past the anger the rest of my family uh, exhibited when, when I told them my decision, that was another year. And then finally just sitting down and uh, deciding that uh, this was my destiny to uh, write the book and and let everyone else know that that this is something that can happen to all of us. Um, I invite all of my readers from the introduction on to step into my shoes, take my hand, and come along with me on this journey. Uh, And I ask them what would they have done in my shoes. And I think think that's what the the most powerful part of Bloodstains is, Not, not whether... He is Jack the Ripper, which we will prove he is, and not whether he was executed or not, which we will prove he he wasn't, but more so how it can affect what people think about who they are themselves. Um, Because all of us, Julian, and you know this, all of us, if we go back far enough, will find something that we're not proud of. Maybe not this this evil, but we all have something, and it's something... uh, we all, uh, I think, I think it's a good knowledge to have. It, it's, it's changed my life for the better, knowing the truth, and I think it's good for everyone. As I was reading all this stuff, my the only thing that kept coming to my head is this guy's got some gut, because to be honest with you, the majority of the people could have kept the secret quiet, Jeff. I mean, it's not like you had any great. Um, you know, the world would have kept going on without this knowledge of your connection and how you brought it forth. But part of the healing process that I always talk about people, and we're going to talk about the paranormal stuff later, but everybody gets caught up in the Hollywood effect, meaning this is a really good story of American lineage, even though it's not as pretty as we'd like it to. The idea is to to not stop in the middle and go through it to the changes on the other side. So I really admire you for doing the book. Now, one thing I want to put out there, because this story has so many twists and turns, I don't even know how you can get it in in one hour. 
But the reason that Bloodstains is such an interesting base novel story is that you actually were given and found journals from this guy written in his own handwriting, correct? Yeah, I have to, that's what the story is about. And, and let me, uh, before we go much further, I've decided to characterize the genre of Bloodstains as fiction based on a true story because, after all, Jillian, I'm, I'm trying to describe to my readers um, voices and visions um, that I had and events uh, under under the influence of an epileptic seizure. So while I remember every minute of the book, um, whether I could state that it's absolute truth, nonfiction, is not, uh, is not is still not clear after all these years. So when we discuss the story, I like to make it clear as a bell. It's fiction based on a true story. And if one of your listeners is looking for a book on how Jack the Ripper used a particular knife or how many women he killed at what day. This, is, this isn't the one for them. This is more a book about finding out how this knowledge of evil in your background can change your life. That's what it's about. I'm glad you clarified that for people because I, want to, I too, want to make sure that it is understood that it's a story-based novel about the things that you found along your way. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is... As an attorney, how did you deal with the knowledge that you're going to be linked forever by default or no part of your own to one of a certified evil monster in American history? Great question. And I'll tell you how uh, I worked on that for quite a while, uh, struggled with it. And I, and I came to a uh, conclusion uh, with an, on an interview with Chris Williams at Ancestry.com we were discussing how, what, whether it was advantageous for someone to actually go back in their ancestry and find out, you know, about a stain like this instead of they all want to find out that they were related to George Washington. Well, yeah, we, right. Right, and we were discussing it back and forth, and all of a sudden both of us came to the realization that, okay, here, here I have... I'm going to admit to the world that my great-great-grandfather was the worst ever. And, and we're talking about an evil genius, maybe one of the highest IQs ever recorded at the University of Michigan Medical School, a man that could have been Louis Pasteur times 10 had he wanted and instead made the choice of evil when there was no reason for him to do it other than he enjoyed it. And, and that's, that's as sick as it gets when you really think of it. But there was no mental illness. This was a very sane man. So we're in this interview, uh, Jillian, and Chris and I all of a sudden come to the realization that, wait a minute, if this is in your background, is it, if this is in my genes, my DNA, and my family from him went on to become great law-abiding Americans, two war heroes, very successful, not one crime we could ever find in the whole, in the whole, in the whole uh, ancestry up to my, my point, what a thing to trumpet to the world that, this, this, is a, this is a great group of people that despite having this in their background, they went on and made the right choices and are good, strong people. And when you think of it, that is something to be quite proud of. Well, absolutely. I mean, and not only have you done a good job at following the destiny trail, but you articulate to people how you can embrace all of it. You know, I call that cherry picking. 
You know, I only want to know the good stuff. So it's an interesting way that you've been able to connect the dots and put it all together in a spin of life and destiny and moving forward towards tragedy. You know, I think a lot of people would call your situation a very tragic story, but a lot of people don't want to move forward from it, Jeff. And it seems like you've not only moved forward, you've championed through it. You know, and I I appreciate you recognizing that because I'm a better man now that I wrote the book and and have the realization of of why I was different um, before being given this knowledge. I had I had different instincts, Julian. I had different uh, impulses. There's no doubt about it. My my family, many of the men in my family, I every once in a while now I'll watch them at dinner or at some uh, engagement, and I can see parts of Holmes in them. Um, it's there. There there is no doubt that genetics and DNA play a part of of our lives and who we are. But that that choice um, that you just described. Um, that's that's what I try to give to anyone that wants to read the book. It, sure, the story is about is about me and what happened in my life, but the instant you pick up the book, it'll be about you as the reader and what things you realize in your life make you different and more distinct and possibly why, as I did at 40-some years old, after having lived, lived my life ignorant of, uh, of, who, of who I was, and that's... Uh, if I can give that to anyone that picks up the book, I'm I'm quite satisfied. Well, and you have to go back to statistics and psychology to a certain extent because you're exactly right, meaning, you know, all these studies that link genetics to alcoholism, to addiction, and so why cannot, and they've done many studies that genetics carries the same kind of for a better lack of words, evilness, but yet he didn't have a mental illness. So I find it intriguing that you're able to see the aspects in others. But in that book, you quoted your great-great-grandfather as saying that he was born, he said in those journals, I believe, make sure this is right, he said that he was born evil and that he's going to stay evil. Exactly. He realized that at a very young age, and I and I described um, him growing up as a as a child, um, far advanced intellectually than any of his uh, classmates or friends, but knowing that his life was not going to be the same as theirs, um, I don't know if he debated it with himself. One of the hard things about um, understanding uh, his who he was, Jillian, was at that intellect, he's so far beyond anything I could um, understand unless he wanted you to understand it. And then when you get to the part where he wants you to understand something, Jillian, it usually had a purpose or was a lie. Not only was he the most prolific serial killer that ever lived, he was the most prolific liar that ever lived. And I spent the last five years of my life trying to convince people that all the books, all the articles, all the journals, all the uh, the things that he wrote in prison for the New York Times and the Chicago papers, all, the papers all over the world, those all had a purpose. If they had a purpose, Jillian, they were a lie, and, and that's what I've tried to get people to understand. 
So with that understanding that you know that he was a prolific liar and a serial killer and every other evil thing you want to put to him, how does a person live, quite frankly, with that blood DNA running and pulsing through your veins every day? I mean, it's like a sickness that you can't get away from, and you're telling us that your own relatives exhibit the same kind of tendency sometimes that you could see in your great-great-grandfather. How do you deal with that? Well, and that's why I that's why I pick bloodstains as the title of the book. It has to do with the blood running through me, uh, staining my soul, and and the uh, and the uh, the fight that I've had, the struggle, you know, to, to pull away from it. Um, and 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 know this: when I talk about seeing instincts or impulses in relatives around me, there's nothing evil. There's nothing criminal. Yeah, exactly. The way they act around other people is a little is a little harsher, is a little stronger, is a little more purposeful than other people just enjoying life. And and to tell you the truth, um, that's one of the greatest things I've gained writing the book was realizing that those things that I used to consider so important that I think come from Herman. Uh, Herman was his actual name, Herman Mudgett. He he liked the name A.J. Tones. Um, that those things that came from him that I've that I've learned to overcome and set aside has made me uh, a much more happier individual. So all through this, now that you're on the other side, Jeff, and you've been doing this now for 15 years, what's your opinion? I mean, do you believe people are born evil, and do you think that they can stay evil? Wow, that's that's okay. Now we're now we're right into the crux of the matter, <laughs> and, and really one of the. the well, did you think I wasn't going to go there? No, I didn't think you. Most people, most uh, interviewers don't. Um, you, you'd be surprised at how naive some of the uh, questions I, I get are sometimes. But really? Now, now we're talking about something that has to do with our society, about good and evil and justice, because yep. it is my opinion, and having done this work, research, and writing, has just firmed that up for me, that we allow criminals who are evil, and there are, to get away with those insanity defense things which allow them to escape justice. This, this man was not insane. Um, his, his sentence of death by execution was correct, and I think many of those serial killers in our society now, uh, we need to learn to uh, flip the switch, so to speak, and just continue living and, and set them aside because we don't need to feel guilty about what's evil in our society. And, and if, and if bloodstains does just that, what answers the question you just asked, I'm, I'm very happy. You know, I grapple with that all the time, Jeff, you know, as being a spiritual-based person. And you know my book, Beyond the Pews, I don't know if you know it or not, but I see colors, okay? So one of the biggest things, having a degree in psychology, which kind of heavyweights the whole thing in analytical thought, is that, People ask me all the time if people are born evil because you can – I personally can see colors around people, okay? Now, what would you think would be a color around this kind of person we're talking about? Well, of course, it's going to be black. But you know what? In the book, I tell people, Jeff, I've never seen a person born black. I describe how everyone has their original color they're born with. It may be gray, 
but there's always colors of light hues that I've seen. So me personally, at this point in time in life, I can honestly say to you I've never seen a color hue that people were original color hue of black. So, you know, part of me goes back and forth with, you know, even this guy admits that he was evil, born evil, but like you said, is that just an excuse for him to conduct his life the way he feels like with no parameters or moral incompetence? Yeah, when he when he gave that quote to the New York Times, Jillian, he had just been paid uh, what at that time was a fortune by um, by the, the biggest media outlet in, in the world. I forget the name. What was the name of the uh, the billionaire back there that owned all the newspapers? Anyway, wasn't it he Hearst? Yeah, Hearst. That's the thing. Yeah. He had just been paid a fortune to give this interview and help write these articles so that they could put it up on the front page. And and that quote, knowing him as as well as I do, he knew that anything about being born with the devil in him was going to grab first page, front page all over the world. Um, Whether he actually thought that, I don't know. I, I know as I started the show, and I wanted your listeners to, to to jump on was he enjoyed being evil of torturing, of experimenting with innocent victims, and caring less about what he was doing to not only the, their lives but the lives of their family around them. So he he was I think I think we throw the word around now um, carelessly, but he was psychopathic. That, and that doesn't mean he was mentally ill. That just means his entire universe was around him and he could have cared less about anyone else. It's just a fascinating story that you found yourself into. And I'm just glad that you have the uh, wherewithal from sharing it. I don't think we're going to take a break if you don't mind. Let's step into the next part. And I want to talk about the paranormal stuff that you've been doing. And and you haven't done a lot of it, correct, or you have? No, I never did any uh, in my life, Julian, until that moment when I walked down those uh, stairs at the uh, post office at 63rd and Wallace, which was built over the top of the murder capsule where so many of the murders were committed. And, and, And at that moment, walking down those stairs into that basement, uh, my life changed as far as what I believed in as far as the supernatural or not. Yeah, and when did you do that? That was, uh, you know, I, I think that was probably five or six years ago now. Um, it was before that, you know, I was obviously, I, I took uh, my best friend and I, we went all around the country and tried to investigate anything that had something to do with H.H. H. Holmes. And, and believe me, there's a, there's a lot of this I could have written a book three or four times uh, this large, but I was recommended not to by all the professionals. So uh, one day a sequel maybe. But the biggest, the biggest place of all was the murder castle in Chicago, which Holmes uh, constructed in preparation for the millions of visitors coming to the Chicago World's Fair in the 1890s. That is just so weird. Explain that part of the story a little bit because that building is gone now. Yeah, it's gone. It was uh, it was bought by the federal government in 1937 
uh, razzed, and then a, a United States post office was built over the top of this, which, Julian, you and I could sit down over a glass of wine and try to figure out why would the federal government have built a United States post office over the place they knew was the most evil in the history of the United States. I, I still, it still makes me shake my head. Well, you know, but I, you know what? I believe that. I believe that they would do that because, one, years ago, and I don't know the exact date, you can fill in the blank here, is that people didn't believe in this stuff, Jeff. I mean, it was, it was not mainstream, and I'm talking about evil and energy and all that stuff. When they did that, that probably wasn't even mainstream. They didn't even think about it probably when it was going through their minds. So for us, it didn't work. You know, I could see why that would happen. And two, let's just destroy it. Let's get rid of it so you can't even have anybody even be a part of it. So it makes sense, but now it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and like you say, they might have wanted to sweep it under the rug and hide it forever. And they've yeah. done a pretty good job. They've done a pretty good job up until now so that – um, one of one of the things that I would like to accomplish from writing the book and having the movie made is that when the post office is torn down, and it will be, it's an old post office in an area of Chicago that probably doesn't need one. Uh, when it's when it's torn down, I would like to have a scientific excavation done of the grounds, and not only not only to rewrite history, which I'm positive we will with the evidence we'll obtain there, but also. To do a, do a proper memorial to the hundreds of victims that have never been recognized there. These were these were innocent young women, Jillian, who came from all over the world. They dressed in their best clothes. They came they came on the trains, the ships, everything to see this great event in Chicago. Which, when you go back in the books and you see, I've got some portfolio books now that just show some incredible pictures. I mean, Edison was there, Tesla, everyone of anyone that was there. And these women came from all over the world, uh, and he had built this hotel in preparation that they needed to transfer trains at that spot. And he knew they would be preparing for the next day's greatest event of their lives. They would need a room to stay in. He would have this beautiful little hotel with 20 rooms upstairs, and it would be designed to facilitate his ability to murder these innocent victims. So... It's it's a story that needs to be told because I don't think people understand that a human being is capable of this much evil. But but it is. It's not. This isn't. That isn't fiction. That's absolute fact. It's not something Hollywood made up. It's who. It's it, it's someone a part of our species that was capable of it. And he's not the only one. There are others, you know, that were, and there there are others that will be. And we need to recognize that. Uh, that ability that we have to be that horrible. Yeah, you know, and I've said this time and time again, Jeff, it's like when I first started in this industry a long, long time ago, don't want to say, I really didn't want to take a look at the evil part of society. I only wanted the good part. And so even as I did this series, it challenged me to really listen to what people were, the feedback of the last couple weeks of the other guests and your story in particular to educate ourselves, not about the sensational parts, 
but the part that the human soul, psyche, whatever we call it, whether it's had mental issues or not, is capable of the darkest stuff. You you can't even make up that stuff in a human mind and then comprehend that someone enacted it. Exactly. And in, there's two chapters in the book, Jillian, which hit on what you just discussed there, which has to do with Holmes torturing uh, a, a young man who was uh, bothering his, his business. And when you bothered H.H. H. Holmes back in those days, you, you didn't last long. And a father who was a detective in Chicago uh, that was pressing Holmes on his secrecy, and Holmes went with his assistants, uh, kidnapped the father and the daughter, and then in the basement uh, proceeded to discuss good and evil, God and the devil, and the choices a father would have to make while watching his daughter tortured by this horrible man. I, I think it's uh, it's not a book for everyone. I don't want children to read it. It's, there's no sex or porn or anything like that, and it's just some uh, scenes, Jillian, that I think people will never forget once they read. And it's I just I just that that discussion with this whole it's. It reminds me a lot of The Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal Lecter, who I'm convinced the author of that book used H.H. H. Holmes as his model for the character. And really? when, you, when, when you get into that discussion that Holmes had with these people that knew they were going to die, even though he was teasing them about possibly living, um, it's something that maybe your readers will never, your listeners will never forget if they take the chance to read it. I hope so. I mean, it's a really good book, and it's a well-written book, and it's going to be in a movie. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but there's one thing I want to cover, okay? So when I was sitting in a meditation and I was thinking about all those women that you just talked about, one of the things that people have to understand about generational energy, and people talk about vibrational energy as in the present, one of the things that people are meant to do that do not do is that they concentrate on awakening their own soul. And I know this gets a little down deep into the subject, but we get so enamored with getting into our own energy and what it feels like and good and evil and changing our future and all that stuff what people don't understand is what you did already that you don't think, I don't think you understand, is that in order to change the inner vibration, and what I mean of that is that move the world from a more evil place to a more balanced neutrality. Not good, but balanced, okay? The mere fact that you have brought up these women, it's like a rubber band. Jeff, here's what happens. Generational energy, let's talk DNA, but now I'm talking energy, is that it does go from generation to generation to generation. And I'll use addiction as an example. When the one person becomes cognizant, let's just say they become clean, and they lead a life of drug-free, alcohol-free, and it's generations back. By doing that, it's like a rubber band. It pops. 
and it's an accordion effect, and it just ripples back, ripples back, ripples back. So what you've done is you've severed that energy cord that keeps all those people on in that story together, the young women he killed, the people that worked for him, even the building, by cutting that and moving it to good, it heals it all the way back already. I hope so. That sounds exactly you asked the question before about when I went down into the into the post office and I and I jumped off your question a little bit. But yeah. that energy you're that energy you're talking about with the rubber bands is something that yep. I describe in the book that's feeling down in that basement of that post office, you know, which was built right over the top of the murder castle, almost over the top. So that energy you're talking about and that rubber band effect, I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know how to explain it scientifically or with your adeptness, but I felt it and I tried to explain that in the book. Yeah, and that's what you did. And so to a certain extent, even the post office, as frustrated as people are, guess what they did? They sealed up that energy sucking energy vortex, for a better lack of words, and sealed it down in the earth. So it didn't keep coming up. And so in a very roundabout way, if you take if you take a step back, Jeff, all has been in order, but from the natural path of what people look at, you know, we go to, well, they destroyed this and white. They stepped in and sealed the deal. With concrete. I think you're exactly right, Jillian. Exactly yep. right. Yep. And by I, you going down in that basement and doing the energy work that you did, you did the rubber band thing, but I I, I ask you to not feel so driven to help the victims because you already did a lot of work. You don't even know you did. <laughs> well, well, thank you very much. And I, and I try to explain it that to people before I went down those steps, I didn't believe in the paranormal. I didn't believe in supernatural. Quite, quite frankly, Jillian, I don't even know if I was spiritual. But an hour later when I came back up, having felt the energy that's there, um, I believed in all three. And, and I'll tell you, there was an article done about this basement by Harper's Magazine. And one of their quotes is, which I, I have memorized forever, is that if ever the paranormal is going to be proven scientifically one day, it will be at 63rd and Wallace in that basement of that post office, which I find an amazing statement. That is, isn't it? And the reality is I love science. Okay, and I'm absolutely for science, but sometimes we get caught up in looking for science to back up what we intrinsically know. There's no way, it's like Reverend Neil was talking last week about being having people be redeemable. Well, what is that? I mean, you can't scientifically prove that people can be redeemed until after they're off this planet. There's certain things that are left to be a mystery, and then I think a part of people work so hard to prove it in the back end that we miss the message at the front end. Exactly. There's no way we're ever going to prove 
many of these things we all have this yearning and craving for, like like the existence of God. That's not ever going to be provable despite <laughs> so many people needing that kind of evidence to continue a belief or a faith. And you, you've, you've hit it on the head, and that's kind of what I tried to explain, that I, I didn't believe in any of these things, but there is an energy that you can feel, whether that had to do with my mental condition, the epilepsy, I let my readers have the choice. I don't think so, because other people have told me um, they don't go down into that basement. Did you know that the, the, the post office employees won't go into the basement? They sealed it off. They all think there's something strange down there. They don't use it, which has got to be very unusual for a federal building, but um, your your explanation of we need to quit uh, craving these scientific proofs of these things and either accept them or not. You know, go with your faith, go with your beliefs, and, and, and I think if you go, well, the whole distance without the doubts that tend to destroy those type of things anyway, I, th I think they're just as real as uh, as a rock in your hand or, or the sun in, uh, when you walk out the house in the morning. Absolutely. And part of your story, in, if I may speak so boldly for it, is that part of it is, please don't forget, we will always have evil, like you said. And the reality is, people work so hard to get rid of the evil energy around us. We spend hours, you know, doing these ritual things to get rid of it. But the reality is, it belongs at some level with and among us because the majority of us use it as a catalyst to be better people, to be to be a more awakened soul and understanding, oh, that's evil over there. You know, I mean, I've felt that evil you're talking about, and for years it, it would bother me. And, one, and then I got to the place where it's like, oh, yes, there's, that's the essence of evil energy. Welcome. Welcome to the party. Apparently, you're supposed to be here, too. Just like the show being bumped off. I'm not surprised, but the reality is that's how this whole thing is supposed to play out. But we're so busy trying to control everything that we miss all of that. So one of the things I want to talk about is that are you awakened now? And how? what are you doing to promote, and you're doing a heck of a job, by the way, promote that awakeness? And the second part is, I, when I was meditating, I really felt this epilepsy and the brain tumor that you specifically talk about in your book has a lot to do with this generational guilt. It was almost like you were trying to punish yourself for the cast of people way back when. And the other part that I got was that you wanted the physical confirmation that what you were getting was real. There's no doubt about that. My, my, much of my family has a guilt about the, this man that we had no choice being related to. I tried to explain to each of them, you, you, don't, you didn't decide. This, this has nothing to do with who you are as a person. Um, and that, but that guilt you just described is something that was with me for, well, almost 10 years. Uh, the funny thing is, Jillian, when I finished writing my book, and, and I don't want to give away the conclusion because it has something to do scientifically yeah, that I'm going to reveal to the world one day, but uh, that guilt went away. And as you state, um, 
I don't quite know how to define the word awakened, but I was a different man who all of a sudden Jillian started enjoying the simple things of life, which I had never done before my entire life. Just, just a bird chirping in the morning, those type of things. The, the, the fun you have with your friends discussing, you know, innocuous events that mean nothing as far as politics or crises around the world. Those are the things I started learning how to enjoy, and it has to do with writing this book. And if you ask me on your show right now, Julian, I, I wouldn't change anything. I would have wanted to find out um, I, was, I was related, uh, descended from this man. I would have wanted to, to do the research and have the obsession I did and then write the book because I'm a better person for it. And, and I can live with the epilepsy that came about. Uh, there's, there's some people that believe that it was a part of the Holmes curse that the New York Times wrote about so much. I, I tend to not. I tend to think it was a, a, a piece of a tumor in, in, my, in my brain that the doctors are doing fine with the medicines just, just swell. But uh, it, uh, there, there's no, no doubt about it. My life is better now because of this entire event, and that's what I'd like your listeners to come away from our show with today. I know, Jeff. I keep pounding that away. I keep trying to tell people it's simplified, get down to the basics. And, you know, um, kudos to you for coming full circle with it. Tell us about the movie that you is coming out that you just signed. And, you know, hopefully we can get the message that you just said to the masses so we don't have to work so hard at being good people and going from evil to love. So in the next minute and a half, tell us all about it. You know, I was I was given a cold call, Jillian, by one of the big studios, and they told me that uh, one of their uh, readers uh, had uh, read the book and was fascinated uh, with it, had gone into her boss and said, we need to make a movie of this story, which is probably the, the sweetest words any author could ever hope to hear. It was, uh, yeah, it, no it, kidding. My entire day, and not the money. And it, it's not the money. It has to do with all of a sudden the people that make a living deciding what a good story is have just given you the best review you could possibly have. I mean, I was just, I was just enthralled. But they came to me and they said, "Listen, we want to do a movie. We're, we're, uh, we're thinking about something along the lines of the English Patient or Seven or The Usual Suspects. Those, those great movies that you know, I, I enjoy all three. And so I went to the I went to Hollywood and had the meeting with them. And firmly believing uh, they were going to turn the story into uh, who Jack the Ripper was, or or this uh, movie set of the murder castle uh, with uh, blood and gore all over the room. Um, and quite frankly, I was shocked to hear no. They wanted to do the movie about the human condition and about what happened to me. Learning this was. Uh, this my very existence uh, is owed to conscious decisions this monster made. They want to make it a psychological thriller that goes back and forth in present and past. And I, I was just uh, amazed that they wanted to take the real story and not just something gory to make a few dollars. So um, I'm looking forward to it. It's probably going to be a year or two before it comes out. But the movie stars they're talking about putting in the book just uh, – shocked me so it's a very exciting process to be a part of and and i tell you what i'd love to come back on later and and discuss the progress of uh, them turning bloodstains into a movie hey you read my mind i was going to ask you the same thing we're going to keep track of you and i really believe you're the perfect person to put this on the screen 
I don't think there's any accidents here. I believe that you have the grace and intelligence and the information spot on to tell the truth the way the world needs to see it. So, again, that's Bloodstains by Jeff Mudgett. You can go and buy his book um, anywhere and go to his website. He has a great website. It's Jeff Mudgett, M-U-D-G-E-T-T, and he is the writer of the very popular Bloodstains. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Dylan. It was a pleasure, and I can always tell when I've had a, a good interview. Uh, I, I looked up at the clock, and I thought we were like two minutes into it, and it's over. <laughs> And we're done. Well, we had that little glitch in the beginning, as you said, the curse, and I love it. It makes it's exactly what I what we needed in the whole thing. So thank you, Jeff. Come back in a couple months and tell us about that book and the movie. Will do. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining Jillian today. Don't miss her famous at-home personal enrichment lessons. You can complete them on your own time to accelerate your personal change. They're simple and nothing like you've experienced before. Just like Jillian, warm and fuzzy with an attitude. So change already. <laughs>